Okay. We've got a reason. I'm going to talk today about, um, about doubt. Uh, the reason this in my mind, I had a, had a well-known preacher, somebody I really respect, talking about doubt and saying about doubt being the opposite to belief, which I don't believe. The opposite to belief is unbelief, you know? And I think, it's a, I think it's sometimes just terminology. When we're talking about doubt, sometimes people actually mean unbelief. But I'd like to just talk about the difference between those two at some point, but also to explore a little bit about when doubts come to us and, and you know, what, uh, what we should do about them, if you don't already know. And if you do, please tell them at the end, because I'm not quite sure. No, not really. Anyway, um, if you want to follow this, I think it's coming up on the screen. I think most of you can see it. My head's not that big, honestly. Um, we're reading from Mark 9, verses 14 to 29. You know the story. When they, came to the other disciples, sorry, when they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your, spirit, your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help, my, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Next, in fact, tomorrow I'm on my way to Uganda. Um, I'm really looking to pray for me because I'm doing a few things that I've never done before. Um, I'll be there for nearly two weeks. And I'm going to a place where I went last year, um, not for very long, um, and I was with a, a, a group of people from Canada. I'm going on my own this time, but I'm meeting Steve Chup um, the second week, and we're going to uh, speak uh, at a conference, both of us, which is something I've not done before, so really pray there, you know. Um, and I remember I was with a group, this group from, from Canada last year. I was there for nearly, I think, 10 days, and they were running various crusades and different people coming out to pray. And... I prayed for loads of people. And I saw some things that, you know, 
people were healed and different people said that you know the Lord had done great things for them and all that kind of thing. But there were several times where people came. Sometimes they came with something like, I remember a boy coming, he had cerebral palsy. I prayed and prayed. I cried over the guy. A little boy actually <laughs> cried over him. I don't know. I don't know what the Lord did. I was overwhelmed. Somebody brought another boy and he did exactly what happened in this story. He fell to the ground. He started blaspheming, swearing, everything. And spirit within him. Um, I prayed. I prayed. They, they tied him up in the end, um, which seems a bit savage to us, but it's very raw sometimes there. And they tied him up to prevent him from hurting himself. And I had to hold on to him because he was in such a, such a state. Um, and I prayed for him for ages. And then they, they, they told me the bus was going without me if I didn't uh, go. I didn't fancy walking home about five miles in the dark. Um, so I had to leave him and go back. And this guy was actually in the choir um, up on the stage originally. And then when we prayed for him afterwards, he just dropped to the ground and, and everything. So Satan kind of hides in that. And I felt so inadequate. They have to come to Jesus and, you know, he said, this can't only come out with prayer. We, have to, we just have to trust him. And it kind of puts a doubt in your mind, you know. I'm praying for people. I've seen people healed. And other people I've seen not healed. I don't understand that. And it's something I've had to resolve. And particularly when you get confronted with something like that, which for many years I've not really been you know, confronted with something so raw as that. Um, I'm not drawing any analogies, but when we were in Liverpool in particular, we had a lot of that kind of spiritual malevolence that was going on very openly around us and praying and, and, and everything for people. And sometimes you saw people delivered and sometimes you didn't. But I tell you, I was, I was actually a little bit frightened, you know? I had to go and talk to the Lord and, and everything, and it was all a little bit confusing. Now I don't know if anything like that's going to happen this time. It might do, probably will. Um, I had to work through it in my mind, and some doubt, said, Lord, I don't understand, why is this not being healed, or whatever? And these disciples, they didn't understand either. Why is this, why wasn't he healed? And Jesus said, this can't come out only with prayer. I know quite what he means there. Do we sit around praying for ages? Were they praying for him or just commanding the Spirit to come out? Jesus did nothing in that way consistently. He never even named the Spirit. This is the only one of only two places where he names the Spirit. And it's because the Father said, he's deaf and dumb. And then the other places where he spoke to the man and it said, we're a, we're a mob, we're a legion. Every other place he just says, you unclean spirit, come out. But every time it was different the way he did it. What do we do, Jesus? Well, we have to be led by the Holy Spirit, really. So we kind of get these doubts in our minds. Now, that's not going to kill my faith. You know? I've got some doubts about going into something, you know, will, it be, will the person be healed or, or whatever? So we have doubts. And I'll just explain the difference between different doubts in a minute. The word doubt in Greek... You all know I'm a Greek scholar. Um, I looked up in the, uh, what is it, Bible Gateway. Great, that Bible Gateway. Saves you going through all that. Matthew Henry and all that. And 
you know, whatever her name is. Um, they kind of looked up. Anyway, in uh, uh, Bible says the Greek um, dictionary defines the name, the, the word, which is the word, the anglicized of the Greek is distazo, distazo. It's probably spelled, uh, probably pronounced wrong, but distazo. And as probably none of you know Greek, that'll do. Um, but it means to waver or to hesitate, to be uncertain about something, consider something questionable, even unlikely. Okay? So that's what doubt means, and that's what we're talking about today. Sometimes we think something's highly unlikely. Sometimes we think, oh, I just don't know. You know? Maybe, maybe not. Doubting is being caught in two minds about something. Now, doubting can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing, but the difference is our attitude towards it. For instance, if we keep an open mind and we're not a Christian, we've not, never given our lives to the Lord, we've never become born again, it's a good thing to doubt our current lifestyle, isn't it? I mean, you would not be able to become a Christian if you didn't think, well, the way I'm going doesn't seem right. I know that's the way I first became a Christian. I saw some of the Christians, I saw some that didn't particularly want to follow the lifestyle, but I saw some of the Christians, and they seemed a bit nerdy, but they seemed all right, and they seemed to have some kind of answer. They sang a few old-fashioned songs. Um... But I wanted to be like them. Talking of old, well, not old-fashioned songs. There's good songs there today. But, you know, still have a problem with Good, Good Father. It's just the tune. It's got great truth in it. But, you know, I don't want to put you off, though. We all have different views. But that's all. We don't have it for six months. And I'll be, I'll have calmed down by then. They only do it to wind me up, you know. Anyway. It's a tune. Anyway. I've gone off a, a bit of a tangent. We're caught in two minds. There is no doubt that doubting can, can hinder us, though. As I say, some doubting can be good. Doubting about the direction we're going in. Doubting about, yeah, that seems a bit dodgy, that. You know? I'm not sure what we're being taught there is, is right. Even... You know, look at me now and think, I doubt that what he's talking about doubting <coughs> is necessarily true. I have to go and check that up for myself. Well, do that. Do that. Because we're told in the scriptures to test everything, to check it out, measure it against the scriptures. You know? And we're told to do that. We're told so that we can give a good answer. If we don't do that, then people come along and actually sometimes it can plant doubts in us because we haven't checked something out for ourselves. Now, we can't check everything out every time. But we can always say, well, I don't know. I'll go and find an answer or I'll resolve that in some way and come back. Like the healing one, I don't know why people don't get healed all the time. Maybe the Lord will tell me eventually. But he doesn't seem to have told anybody else either at the present time. So it's probably one we'll have to wait for heaven to find out about. Now... I'm all right with that. Except when I'm confronted with it and I think, oh, God, help me. Literally, God, help me. 
you know? And I might be doing that quite a bit for the next two weeks. Doubting is a good thing if it drives us towards the Lord. Doubting is a good thing if it leads to repentance and brings us along the right direction. So a form of doubting, a good form of doubting, is one where we question things. Now, if you're questioning things all the time, there could be a number of reasons for that. But maybe we need to look at our attitude because some things, some, some, sorry, some things can drive us to doubt all the time, such as we might have a, a wrong view of God. We might see God as being some kind of um, harsh person who's trying to catch us out, so we're a bit wary of him. We might see him as being judgmental, and, or we might see him the opposite. We might see him as some sort of Father Christmas God who gives us good gifts, and that's always, oh, it's all right. No, don't worry. <laughs> don't bother repenting. Don't, don't bother with your lifestyle, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll just carry on being nice to you, you know? Maybe we think of God in that way. So we're not listening to him or we're doubting because our doubts are based upon, sorry, our, our faith is based upon a God who is not real. It's our idea of God based on, maybe it's based on our fathers who weren't necessarily so good. Or maybe it's based upon some other aspect that we never got out of our system. So maybe we need to look at our relationship with God, how we see God, that he is a loving God, but he is God and he is Lord of our lives. Maybe we came into being a Christian on the wrong basis, that we, we, we repent, we, we give our life to Jesus. It costs us nothing. It costs nothing to give your life to Jesus, but it costs you everything to follow him. And maybe we weren't prepared, or maybe we weren't prepared to count the cost. But actually, nothing we've got is worth anything without Jesus. I used to worry when I was a, a, a teenager that we used to say, you know, God would, uh, we, we'd have to be prepared to give up everything for God. And I, I genuinely wanted that, but I did worry in case he stopped me living my life in some ways or, or whatever. I've got a great quote here, actually, which is, I'm, I'm a bit jumping about where I am in my, my notes, but I wanted to read this end, but I think it's quite good. If we're ever worried about stuff, I will get to the verses, by the way, Andy, eventually. Yeah. Um, if we're ever worried about something, I think this is a great quote. Um, this is from uh, the great Baptist preacher, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was, um, he was based in London in the uh, 19th century. And he was one of the, he was a big man, you know, big beard like that. So jihadi looking bloke, but not obviously. Um, and he was, he was a fantastic preacher, loads of people saved. And the, the quote he said here, but brother, you do not want dying grace until dying moments. I, he was talking about grace and he was talking about when we come to pass away. And some people have been asking him about, you know, the thing, I don't feel I've got the grace to die gracefully. I think I'll be worried about, you know, will I go to heaven or whatever. 
I said, but brother, you do not want dying grace until dying moments. What bit would be the good of dying grace while we are yet alive? A boat will only be needful when you reach a river. Ask for living grace and glorify Christ thereby, and then you shall have dying grace when dying grace time comes. I think that's brilliant. And sometimes we do that. We worry about things. We, we, we think, uh, you know, I've got these doubts about this. Will I, what will it be when this happens, when that happens? And I kind of was a bit like that when I was a teenager. And maybe sometimes we still are like that from time to time. But God says, oh, well, Spurgeon says, but also God says, don't worry. I will give you the grace to do whatever needs to be done at the time. He actually says that, you know. Speak before kings and do this kind of thing. I'm doing some stuff next week. I've never spoken at a conference that's got hundreds and hundreds of people there before. I've spoken to fairly big audiences, but never something like that. I've never been the one speaker that they're all looking at to go, you know, give us pearls of wisdom or something. I have no idea what, what, what it feels like, but it feels a bit scary at the moment. But I have no doubt, even if it went wrong, seriously, that the Lord would give me the grace I need at the time, you know? And it going wrong might be what the Lord wants to happen. Now, that would have terrified me when I was younger. But now you think, well, it happened, you know? I'll do better next time. They'll have me back. Anyway, I'm going to read a few verses just to illustrate things. I will finish on time. Do not concern yourselves. Don't doubt. Okay. So if we need wisdom about something, what do we do? It says in um, James uh, chapter 1, verse 8, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe. Right? You must believe. Like the man in the story, he believed. He believed. He wanted to believe. You couldn't quite. And the reason is, and you mustn't doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, that kind of doubt is the sort of doubt that says, is this the right direction I should be going? Is this what God wants me to do? Is, is, does the Lord exist? You know, or, or whatever. That sort of doubt needs resolving. We won't move on with that kind of doubt. Where we've got a doubt about what's it going to be like in heaven or something like that, well, okay, we know it's going to be nice, to put it at its very basis. We know a few things about it, but the Bible doesn't tell us a lot. You know? It tells us even less about hell, but maybe we don't want to go there, literally. Okay? The Bible tells us a lot. The Lord will speak to us. The rest is just speculation. And sometimes it's nice, nice to speculate, nice to talk, but we'll get to that in a minute. So there's doubts that we really need to resolve, fundamental doubts, before we can move on, because we will always be unstable. Doubts make us consider what we believe. Like I said before, you know, the old story, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam, but not a moron, all right? He does want us to know about our faith. And the best thing we've got to start off with, we've got a, a testimony. We know that we gave our lives to Jesus and our lives have been different ever since. We've had a peace. We've had a, 
a different experience. It's real rather than just being something which we you know, know about or we religiously follow or, or, or whatever. If we get into other areas, which might be just speculation or something like that, and get into arguments, that's what splits things. That's what causes so many denominations or whatever. There's other things as well. People sometimes discover the truth and think, oh, yeah, that's good, and the others maybe don't want to follow that way or, or whatever. Um, but sometimes we can just get into useless arguments and we get upset about them. It's good, as I say, to talk about things, iron sharpens iron or that kind of stuff, but never leave anything like that as a kind of something that comes between you. In uh, 2 Timothy, got two lots of verses here, 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 16, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and it only ruins those who listen. I've never known two people who've become, you know, have got two, two different views to persuade one another. Actually, we have to listen to the Lord to persuade us. We have to study things and come to the conclusion ourselves. People in an argument become polarised. So, you know, you can talk about things, you can, but don't lose it. And if someone is getting that way, stop the conversation, go away, talk about something in common, you know? Preserving the unity. You're told to do that above all else, preserve the unity. So if you've got a different view, that's all right. You can express it in the appropriate time and place with the appropriate people. That's fine. We all have different views, different emphases on things, different personalities, things that matter to us, things that don't, you know? But don't let them come between us. And later on in verses 23 to 24, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Well, that's telling us. Because you know they produce quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. So if anybody disagrees with me, you know what to do. Just be kind. The doubts themselves are not really a problem. It's what we do with them and our attitude towards them. You see, I've said already we can have a different view of, of God. Um, I've said also that it can depend on what we see. We might have filters for our past experience or our well, our past experience, usually, and, and, and other things, that you know, our background, um, where we are at the moment, the mood we're in, whether we've been taking the tablets or not, whatever, you know? We can have a filter that stops us seeing things necessarily in, in a clear way. Now, some things, as I say, we're not going to see clearly. We're not going to see until we're in heaven, and we'll probably see them a bit differently then. In... Um, There's a, here's, here's, here's a difference between somebody who's genuinely doubting but thinking maybe we can do something or, um, and, and absolute unbelief. You probably know these verses because um, you know, we often get the, uh, the unforgivable sin quoted. So we've already been through that one. But I'll say it again. Um, this is Matthew 12, and I want to read two lots of verses. First of all, the first reaction from the people and the second reaction from the Pharisees. So... And in verse 22, it says, And they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And the people were astonished and said, 
Could this be the son of David? There's a doubt, and it's a good doubt. Hey, you know what? Could this be the one that's promised in the scriptures? Could this be the saviour? Look, look what he's doing. You know, up to now I've led my life, you know, hoping that he'd turn up and that kind of thing, but you know, not in my lifetime. Hey, hang on. Could this Jesus be the Son of God? Could this be the Messiah we've been promised? That's a good doubt. Yeah? Smile. Starting to get worried. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it's only Beelzebub, only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Now, Beelzebub, another word for Satan. Um, don't know, not quite sure why it's in there as, as that, but I think it comes from Baal, you know, that kind of thing. But Beelzebub, often uh, in Mummers plays and sort of uh, things like that, Beelzebub turns up and scares everyone. Anyway, it's by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Their perspective on it was, I am not going to believe this. This man is acting in the name of Satan. Right? He's doing this in the name of Satan. Because he's driving demons out. He must be a demon. But Jesus then says in verse 31, And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone speaks without, speaks, and then I put in there, without changing their mind, because it's someone who continues in this way, against the Holy Spirit, will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, as we know, the unforgivable sin was that they, they removed, by saying this is done by devil, they removed the only way that they could become born again, that they could become Christians. Because if they continued to believe that, they could never be saved. It's as simple as that. So Jesus is referring back to that and saying, these guys just have total unbelief. Those sorts of doubts, well, they're not doubts. That's unbelief. And there's a difference there between a good doubt, if you like, the people are saying, could this be the Messiah? Hey, you know, let's, let's find out more. I've got a bit of a doubt about what the Pharisees are saying. But the Pharisees themselves... They were in total unbelief. There was no way they were ever going to believe in Jesus. Though some of them, like Nicodemus, had a more open mind. They were predisposed because of their teaching, their training, their position in society, their theology. This was not the Messiah. This was never going to be Jesus. And they actually then excluded themselves until they repented of coming to know the Lord properly, or at all. So, how do we deal with doubts? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is first look at our attitude and our history, our experience. Are we always doubting everything? Do we have a wrong view of God, ourselves, or the world in general? That's a good start. Be a bit honest with ourselves. You know, I can fly off into sort of flights of fantasy of my own and think this, that and the other. And then I was in a house group years ago. I was, um, I was with, uh, in work and this guy, basically, long story, but this guy cheated me out of a promotion, got a promotion, became my boss and then copied everything I used to do and sent it to, to our boss as his own work. And I went on for some 
while. And I was going along for my other, my housekeeper then, saying, this guy, you know, blah, 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 and stinky bloke, you know, don't, don't like him, blah, 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 blah. Sounds a bit like, you know, that, that um, Mutley. And um, after the house group meeting one day, some guy came to me, a friend in the house group, and he said to me, the problem's not that guy, the problem's your attitude. And this took me aback, because I'm such a perfect person. <laughs> really odd, you know. But it, it went straight to my heart, and I, I got him to pray with me, and we prayed and, and everything. And the Lord put the situation right, you know, more than right, actually. And I ended up as the guy's boss. Ah, happy memories. Anyway, <laughs> there we go. The other thing, of course, read your Bible. Of course, pray. Seek God's perspective and get his peace on the matter. That's a great thing to get God's peace on something. You know, it's no longer being tossed about and, oh, no, I don't know, and unstable. Speak to others. Speak to others. Again, we talk about this at house group. Most of it's what we saw at house group and just regurgitating, really. Um, we spoke about this, about being part of fellowship. Um, it's a great house group, ours. You want to join it? Really good, really good. Yeah. Ours better than yours. Mm. Anyway, um, ours, mine's the best one because we're in it. And yours is the best one because you're in whichever one you're in. You relate to. Speak to others that you can trust. That's not necessarily people who will always agree with you because you might be wrong. You know, well, well, you know, I had this prophecy and, you know, uh, no one's listening to it. Well, no one's listening to it because it's wrong. Oh, oh, okay. You need sometimes some people to say that. Maybe not as starkly as that. I have been guilty of bearing that sometimes, but it's usually when I'm tired. Two o'clock in the morning, never write an email or respond. But sometimes we do need someone to tell us and tell us properly and in love. You know, it always says in love, doesn't it? And it means it. I have a friend who says, in love, and then shreds you. That's not being in love, genuinely in love. You know? I'm saying this in love. I think, oh, here it comes. Anyway, seek guidance uh, from older, wiser Christians, not necessarily the same thing, okay? Um, but especially if you're new to the faith, you've not been a Christian long, uh, ask them honestly, am I being deceived? Am I, am I just not seeing this and everybody else is seeing it? Or, you know, is, is this something I should be doing? Or is there a way that maybe I can resolve these different things that are coming to me? The need's resolving. But then when you do make a decision, when you... Stick with it. Not in the sense of, I can't be, it can't ever be changed. But go for it with all your heart. Be wholehearted in what you do. Because that's what the Lord loves. He loves wholeheartedness. And again, if you're sitting there on your tod, thinking, well, I've resolved that now. Sorted. What was the point of getting it sorted in the first place? And... If you have got something wrong, if somehow, after all that seeking and getting things right and sort of resolving the doubts and that, 
this is the way I'm going to go. If by some chance you've got it wrong, then God can change the direction of your moving. But if you're just sitting there, no, he can't. So go for it. And it'll become obvious if it's from the Lord. Now, there might be hard things to go through. Never, ever trust in circumstances to say whether God said yes or no. Right? It's what God said. It's what is right. What gives you peace in your heart? Because circumstances can be against you. You say, oh, well, you know, the enemy's trying to stop me. Or you could be saying, oh, maybe the Lord's saying I shouldn't be going that way. Maybe the answer's equally going really well. Wow, you know, well, you know, Satan's making a path for me to go in the wrong direction. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. You know, just go for it. Just do it with all your heart. And the Lord can correct you. Paul, when he was on his missionary journeys, was following a well-known trade route. He was going from one city to another. And the only recorded time the Lord spoke to him was when the Lord wanted him to come off the beaten track and go to somewhere else. He spoke to him in a dream and said, don't go where you're going, go here instead. Yeah? And the Lord will do that. He'll do that if we're going full pelt for him and no one was more enthusiastic than Paul. So it's better to be going and moving and the Lord can correct us. Keep our hearts open. Keep our minds open. Entertain good doubts. Is this the right thing? But you don't have to second guess yourself all the time. You know? It says in Colossians 2, verse 23, and various other places, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. And as I said, finally, that some matters will only be resolved when we get to heaven. There's no cause for shame. Uh, sorry, I was reading the verse. Some doubts, some, some doubts are unknowns. Like I said, you know, the full nature of heaven but we can, we, can, uh, we can overcome them. You know, why are people healed and others not? Well, we can have all sorts of theories and discuss it, but ultimately, I don't know. And it says in 2 Timothy 1.12, 2 Timothy again, that is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted him to him until that day. In other words, we know Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. It's trusting him. And the things we don't know, we can entrust to him. You know? And again in 1 Corinthians 14, 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So we will find out. But maybe not here and now, maybe not till we go to, the, to, to heaven. So just to summarise, doubts happen from time to time. Some doubts need resolving fundamental ones for us to move on. Some doubts we can live with until the right time or when we go to be with the Lord. And it's our attitude towards the doubts or to God or to ourselves or to the world in general which is important do we want to move on, or is this an excuse or a character issue that needs resolving with regard to doubts? Now, I hope that hasn't confused you. I hope it hasn't made you all sad. There's a few smiles. That might just be sympathy. But 
Can we just pray and just ask the Lord to, to help us to deal with any doubts we have in a proper way. And if there's unbelief, that that's eradicated completely. Okay? If anybody wants prayer, we can resolve your doubts instantly. Um, yeah, come and grab me or Han since she said it. And we don't mind not having a cup of coffee. Anyway, funny messing. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can explore your truth. We can do it in a sometimes a humorous way, sometimes a light-hearted way. But Lord, if, if this is truth, and we don't take that in a flippant way, Lord. We we want to move on with you. We want to resolve the doubts that need resolving. We want to avoid foolish talk. We want to make our lives count. And so we need to get on with it, Lord. So, Father, all that hinders, all that gets in the way, all those things which maybe it's us, maybe it is other things, Lord, we ask that you give us a clear vision. You give us a wholehearted way of life, Lord, that we just enjoy, that we're full of love and joy for you. And when these things come up, we, we resolve them with the right attitude. We don't use them as things that are going to cripple us. We don't use them as weapons to fight against one another and make a, ourselves feel better just because we won the point. Help us to be humble. Help us to preserve the unity. Help us to be a family, Lord, that loves you, follows you, and enjoys you and each other. In Jesus' name, amen.